0: We have a fun 2019 Trends and Data in Review podcast featuring Josh Hurd from Cause IQ. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Guest today is Josh Hurd, the founder and CEO of CauseIQ, CEO, of course, standing for Chief Everything Officer. Josh, how's it going?
1: Going great today. It's sunny outside, and I've got to love the sun.
0: Absolutely. And you know, we are we're having you on because you recently came out with these amazing nonprofit trends of 2019. And frankly, you know, everybody has their this is that trend and this is that trend. But we're talking to you because you're pulling from hundreds of thousands of data points. Can you give us a quick overview of what CauseIQ does and why on earth are you sitting on this treasure trove of nonprofit data?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So CauseIQ, we are um, i a tech company, uh, a data tech company, and we provide business data on the nonprofit sector. So all of our customers are the service providers to the charities, to the nonprofits themselves. And they use us to help get like benchmark reports to their clients, to help answer questions about you hire a new executive director, what should you pay here? Like what are her peers paid, et cetera. Or even you want to do some business development and you want to know what organizations are out there that are similar to my current clients. Of course, to answer all those questions, you have to have data on the sector. And that's why we've built out our database from publicly available data from our own research team, machine learning algorithms now, and all this fun, fancy stuff. And that's why we're sitting on just all this data on the nonprofit sector that we're trying to put to good use.
0: And can you tease us a little bit how many nonprofits are are currently in your backyard here?
1: Yep. So right now we have about 450,000 nonprofits in our system. Um, of course, nonprofits include C3s that we're all most familiar with, but also C4 political organizations, C6 trade associations, there's electric co-ops, the tax-exempt sector, if you will, is a whole lot larger than just charities when you think about it. And what we're mainly looking at for, and talking about the trends today, are the larger nonprofits, the ones like in IRS 990 speak, that file the full form 990 or the 990 PF for private foundations. Right now we're not looking at 990 EZ or 990 Postcard or which are the smaller ones.
0: Gotcha. And you know just to float it out there, you know there are about 1.7 million-ish nonprofits certified IRS, and you know frankly it, it seems like you're you're filtering out the ones that we classically think about as you know active nonprofits, uh, you know impacting stakeholders and you know having having revenues of, of mention and note.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think that I forget what the most recent high risk threshold for the 990 EZ is, but in general, like I say, we've got organizations about 200k in revenue and above whereas below that there's a whole lot i mean 1.7 million but minus 000, so let's call that 1.3 nonprofits that are really tiny think of like neighborhood soccer organizations where kids go out and play soccer on the weekends like that's gonna be a very
0: very small c3 there yeah the local community garden etc yep all right and i will also say that we have been fans for a long time and we're excited that actually whole whale is working with cause iq you are a client um and uh, you know, in full disclosure, we love working with you. <laughs> yep,
1: yeah, no, it's super fun. We're uh, <laughs> we're stoked as well.
0: All righty, let's move into uh these trends and I will say uh, the the narrative we're gonna bring to bear here doesn't it like pales in comparison to playing with this, so we will have show notes that you can go chase down, <laughs> so don't worry about that. Your big, you know, your big finding uh, of all of this. Can you frame it for us? What, you know, what are we comparing, and uh, what are we finding for the five thousand most popular organizations out there?
1: I want to say first of all, when we're, like, when we're looking for trends, just methodology-wise, to geek out a little bit to find trends, we wanted to look at the exact same nonprofits and look at their data from last year and look at the data from this year, or the most recent year, because of course, the 90s trickle in at a very slow rate. Um, Because Sometimes if you do averages, you might have like seemingly different averages from two different years, but you're comparing like different samples of organizations. So you're not really doing like an apples to apples comparison. But what we wanted to do is really be like as methodologically secure as we could in a study and look at the exact same organizations and seeing how they're growing and like ways in which they're growing or shrinking or spending their money um, across you know the most recent year and the year before that. So I guess the highest level trend is that like overall the nonprofit sector is in good shape. Um, revenues are increasing. Revenues are actually increasing more than last year. You know the growth rates, assets, um, especially investable assets. What we're looking at are, um, you know, still above zero as- investable assets are still growing, although they're growing a little bit flatter before. But where it gets really interesting is looking at employment trends and how much of this growth in the sector, both revenue growth and investable asset growth, translates to employment growth versus you know, other expenditure areas.
0: And so give us the, the end. What is this uh, this based on? How many nonprofits are you looking at when you make that assertion that we're, you know, say growing, I think you said 5.6% on the median?
1: Yep. So right now we're looking at 5,000 nonprofits. Um, but nonprofits, what we did is we're just looking at C threes here, so we're just looking at the charitable sector and we're excluding hospitals, excluding universities and other like higher education institutions, and then also excluding their foundation. Um, you know most hospitals and most universities have dedicated separate distinct C threes that, are fundraising entities for them. So we're excluding all of that because they're kind of their own thing. Yeah.
0: Are we excluding um, religious institutions or are they included here as
1: well? They actually are included here. Um, of course, most religious institutions, like, you know, normal churches, are not required to file a Nine Ninety for the most part. Um, you know, it's not necessarily representative sample with religious institutions, but we do have them included in the sample for where they do file a Form 990, 90
0: And what about .edu's? They
1: are largely excluded. Um, so we're excluding colleges, universities, and um, yeah, so pretty much everything in the education space is excluded.
0: And I know I'm like dialing this in because it drives me kind of nuts, the amount of nonprofit trends that are shared out there, either based on a small n, meaning the sample size, the number n, the number of folks surveyed, and when it's in the hundreds and then people make macro assumptions about the entire Mm -hmm. industry, it literally makes me want to tear. I actually tear my hair out because (laughs) it's making us dumber. So I dial in here to say is anytime that you're looking at a trend of like what happened in 2019, look at how many folks it's based on. And I have to say this is a robust representative sample size of 5,000 of the type of nonprofits that are probably listening to this podcast. So I am uh, far more confident uh, in what we're finding. And it's great to see uh, that growth – uh, is in fact happening at around that five percent. Although it, it seems like you then point out that advocacy organizations are lagging behind the rest. Can you explain? Yep,
1: exactly. Yeah. And so what we really wanted to do, I mean exactly to your point that you know you need to narrow down to like the right organizations is we then split it into about ten different types of nonprofits within the sector. So looking at like advocacy versus arts and culture, business organizations, foundations, etc. And at least when it comes to revenue growth, pretty much every single other type of Nonprofit is increasing the growth rate. So obviously, organizations are still growing. They still they still have a positive growth rate, but it's just less than it was the year before. And they're the only type of nonprofit that we're seeing that is having their growth rate, growth in revenue here,
0: decreasing
1: versus increasing the year prior.
0: Mm-hmm. So just to summarize, it looks like animal, environmental, and civil rights organizations. Are the only type of nonprofit that has slower growth, still growing in this past yeah. revenue year.
1: Yeah, but it came to about a percent and a half, so like a decent size, and not, uh, so I mean, <laughs> exact numbers here versus percent to percents, which can get really tricky. It reminds me of grad school. Yeah, so what we were looking for, like most recent years' data, advocacy organizations were growing their revenues by just about 6%. But the year before that, they're growing at just under 8%, about like 7.73% to be exact. And and again, before that, we're looking at the exact same organizations here. So the exact same organizations from the most recent years data to the year before. So it's like an apples-to-apples apples comparison when we're, we're looking at those two numbers. Um, and like I said, that's the only type nonprofit that we saw that was having this decreasing growth rate.
0: Gotcha. I want to move to the... Uh, This almost kind of concerning maybe that almost one-third of nonprofits are drawing down on their investable asset. Can you explain what an investable asset is and and what it means to be drawing down on that? I thought we were growing.
1: Yeah. So, investable assets are assets, but stuff that you might think of as an endowment. So, it could typically be cash, certificates of deposits, you know, like bonds and stocks, or if you're a larger organization, you can have other weird investment instruments, et cetera. Um, but investable assets are you know, types of assets that would typically earn your return on that investment that you could then invest in your program or increase in your endowment with, compared to, let's say, owning your own building, which is an asset, but it's not an investable asset just because you own on your own building. And then, yeah, in terms of drawing down, well, we should say that, like I mentioned earlier, investable assets are still increasing for nonprofits, but there are about a third of nonprofits where the investable assets are going down. So again, it's like just one part of the sector or one part of nonprofits that are decreasing, but still it's, um, it means that a whole lot of organizations are have less money in the bank this year versus the year before. And why exactly that is, is something we want to look more into, but it is potentially concerning, I should say.
0: Although sometimes isn't it the point of a, an endowment to spend down? I know there are some foundations, you know, the Stupski Foundation, whose like goal is literally to be like out of money in a decade. Oh, 100%.
1: But I should say the caveat here is that we're seeing this across all types of oh, okay. nonprofits. So it's not just foundations where we're seeing this happen, which would Make very logical sense. Um, we're seeing it in like museums and, you know, non hospital healthcare type organizations and human services organizations. You know, organizations have been operating for 20, 30, 40 years and, you know, the investment assets are decreasing, even though, of course, the economy and the nonprofit sector as a whole is doing really pretty well.
0: And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. On trend five, we talk about employment flattening out for many nonprofits. Um, you said that the median employment growth was 0.8% for you know 2018-2019 compared to to 1%. So it sounds like a steady hum, right? Uh, is it in a sense that like is that alarming or is it just like you know we kind of hover at this number? We grow like a you know an old redwood.
1: Yeah, I think this is more interesting than alarming. I don't think there's anything alarming with the nonprofit sector being cautious and choosing to, you know, hire employees with maybe a little bit more conservatively than, you know, increasing revenues or increasing assets would, you know, potentially let them be able to. Uh, I think it's just like interesting for me. This is one of the most interesting stats that came out in this study for me is because I'd assumed that if an organization is growing its revenues at, let's say, 10% or 5% even, that employment growth would be not necessarily at that level, but at least, you know, higher. But we're seeing employment growth really being flat and not that correlated with growth in revenue and growth in assets. So it's, again, I wouldn't say alarming. I just think it's interesting. And when people think of know, growth in the nonprofit sector, just mentally, you kind of have to separate out growth in revenue, growth in assets versus actually growth in employment, because those are two different things, as we found.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem to be super sensitive, actually, to to that function, which is uniquely different than the for-profit sector. Yeah, absolutely. It's also, in the macro scheme of things, something I think – I surprise most people with the following stat, that roughly about 10% of our labor force – is employed by the nonprofit sector. And so understanding that, you know, this sector grows, you know, it grew through like recessions uh, and has continued to sort of like inch along like the little engine that could year after year, you know, you know, whatever episode after episode uh, is is an important uh, undertone here yeah One hundred percent, yeah so your next trend is exactly that that employment doesn't grow proportionally with with revenue or or assets,
1: yep, yeah, yep, yeah. and that's exactly what I just mentioned that you can see you know revenue growing like I mentioned before, you have you know revenues and and should I should say when we're talking about these stats, I think medians tend to be the best way to look at these versus averages, so by median um if anybody out there doesn't know what it is, it means. Half. So, for example, I'll show her talk about a specific example. Um, so, last year, the nonprofits that we're looking at had a median growth rate in revenue of about 5.7%. That means half of nonprofits grew faster than that 5.7%, and half grew slower than that 5.7%. But tying back to employment is, uh, yeah, when looking at those median rates, like median revenue of like about 5.7 median asset growth, investable asset growth of about 6%, then you compare that to a median staff size growth, like employment growth of just under 1%, of 0.81%. And it really makes you see with these numbers that, yeah, they're not linked. They're not really linked. I don't want to say not linked at all. We'd have to do a lot more um, you know, detailed study to say that, but there's not a correlation between the two. There doesn't appear to be a strong one.
0: Yeah. You can move into religious nonprofits, and they are really uh, – they orbit their own sun. But you have limited data, though, no, on, on sort of their activities, even though you're, you're talking about yeah. growth rates increasing.
1: Yeah. So the caveat here is like religious organizations, we yeah, do not have the visibility into that we have with the rest of the sector, um, especially churches. But still plenty of religious organizations file from the 90s, even though they don't necessarily have to. And also keep in mind that there are you know, a whole variety of religious organizations out there. They're not all churches. And But what we saw in looking at the religious organizations that we do have data on, uh, like within the 5,000 most popular organizations within Cause IQ, is that some trends that hold for other parts of the sector don't necessarily hold for them. So for example, when we are talking about Investable assets growing at a slower rate for the nonprofit sector. Actually, religious organizations grew their investable assets at a higher rate this past year versus the year before that. Um, and so there's some interesting trends like that, even with the revenue growth. They grew their revenue a whole lot more than most other types of nonprofits. So, um, I mean, just like we're talking about advocacy organizations and different types of nonprofits, just having different trends kind of operating in their own ways, religious organizations oftentimes are, you know, a little bit different than other types of nonprofits when you think about trends and finances and growth rates and that sort of thing.
0: Well, trend eight is good news for, for good old whole whale here. Nonprofits <laughs> are spending more money on consultants, accountants, and lawyers, etc. Yep. <laughs> so wait a minute, yeah. wait a and minute. It, is this, is this maybe, uh, helping explain, Uh, a bit of the narrative around the insensitive uh, relationship of revenue uh, increasing to staff, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think that's really exactly it. And so the trend here is that nonprofits, so what we're looking at is service provider expenses, Um, professional services. Think about like consultants and lawyers and accountants and lobbyists, uh, professional fundraisers, et cetera. For everybody who knows the 990, like the back of your hand, there's like a very specific section for about six or so of them, um, in the expenses part of the formula 90. And yeah, they're growing strong, growing almost exactly in line with uh, revenue. And, you know, that contrasts with, you know, employment growth that was pretty much flat at, you know, just under 1%. And so, you know, this is combined with trend nine, which is that, you know, at least as we think about it, it looks like nonprofits on the whole are outsourcing additional help that they need versus hiring a person in-house to fulfill that position. So, you know, let's say you're, you know, need another finance person rather than hire a new finance person and, you know, take, I mean, the potential risk that that involves with salaries with benefits with, you know, pensions or 401ks, et cetera, you can just, outsource that, like hire a company that does a really good job to do that for you. And yeah, they might cost more money overall, but there's less risk there. Um, And so that's why, at least for me, it kind of makes intuitive sense that nonprofits would be outsourcing more of their work or taking, let's say, the additional revenues that they have this year versus the year before that and spending that on outside help versus in-housing it.
0: It's interesting, too, because we've had um, clients in the past and at present like will say, like, actually, we want to pause for the summer because nothing happens. You really can't pause a a, a digital <laughs> media. Hey, we're not going to pay you nope. for the summer unless you're working for certain luggage companies, and then you can do whatever you want.
1: <laughs> yeah, unforced oh. sabbatical.
0: <laughs> we suggest you don't come in next month. What's that? Yeah, no, just, you know, stay home. You've been doing great work, Greg. Uh, (laughs) Yep, but stay specialized. Stay tuned. Make sure you come back.
1: You can operate on all four, six, however many cylinders cars have these days.
0: Yeah, service (laughs) on demand. I think you know this is, um, you know, this is a double edged sword. As you know, you realize that like job security and the ability to create great jobs. I firmly believe in the nonprofit sector to do this. I see the sector as a long term, almost savior level of where the next. Uh, you know, million X jobs will come from as we look at automation because uh, I don't think you can automate empathy. I do think uh, I, I like seeing a steady, intelligent growth uh, in the sector. And what I'd encourage anybody listening who's like, well, wait a minute, they're not talking about the arts, they're not talking about the fill in the blank sector. You can actually jump into uh, Josh's data and do these searches with that filter on and say hey what are they paying ceos hey what are they spending on advertising hey what are they like it's it's actually incredible and uh i um i use it quite a bit
1: and also like we'd love to do more reports like this on very specific uh parts of the sector like we're just getting into like spot leadership and developing these sorts of reports so if you really want to go into something specific i mean go to the contact us link on our page or talk to George or somehow reach out to me and um and yeah because we're really you know, running with what's just like interesting and what people are interested in. So, by all means, reach out and we can do more studies diving into certain areas
0: here. And I pushed you on because I was super curious and I was like, I got my my bonus trend here about top metro areas. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like
1: Georgia's trend instead of Georgia's trend.
0: trend. I think it's fascinating looking at uh, the the sort of local landscape of metro areas. And so you gave us New York, Los Angeles, Chicago philly and others i think the highest growth um looking through all of them is actually pittsburgh yep like props to yep. pittsburgh geez what are they doing there they go oh, yeah. they almost double in their in their rate like well done yeah. folks yeah and no idea and, and
1: granted I and mean, it's just like a pure hypothesis there's no data behind this at all but when i think of pittsburgh i think of a whole lot of r&d going there and just like incredibly talented tech and you've got a couple of great universities in Pittsburgh, so. Maybe it's more on that side of the nonprofit sector. Um, I know there's a couple of AI nonprofits out there. I don't know if any of those are based in Pittsburgh, but then again, these are medians. And the great thing about medians, again, to get wonky is that you could have like one nonprofit that's like growing like gangbusters, but it wouldn't skew the whole entire stat or like the data set because we're looking at medians. so like half doing better, half doing worse versus. You know, on average, which can be totally skewed by outliers. But yeah, I've over tried to ban on.
0: the word average on on our podcast, or at least attack the <laughs> heck out of it, because that's exactly it, right? When we're you know we're about to shift gears, actually, over into this, like we're in a more and more extreme power law situation, especially when we're talking about money and the consolidation of wealth in this country, in our companies, and in nonprofits. So so Josh is pointing out that if we were to let's say, I don't know. Uh, choose like the Chan Zuckerberg initiative who, who has like billions of dollars. Like all of a sudden you're like, Hey, everybody's doing fine. You're like, I don't see any of that money. Yep. If Bill Gates, if Bill Gates jumped on the line, by the way, we're going to dial him in right now. We would have <laughs> on average millionaire multi, you know, we would have average billionaires on the phone. Oh yeah. Right. right? Like in your, we'd all be billionaires. <laughs> like we, could, we could relax and stop talking to each other, which I would not choose to do. I'd still talk to you if I had a uh, oh, thank dollars, you. Josh. Yeah. Uh, But to come back to it, don't trust anyone who hands you an average. I love using medians Mm -hmm. and making sure that you understand like, ah, I get it. Of the real humans, over under, this is the biggest cluster in the center of people with actual numbers. Um, And so our median wouldn't change if, just to summarize, Bill Gates joined this call. Mm -hmm. Okay. The top 100 charities by revenue in 2019 – uh, this is just, frankly, like, uh, you know, data porn to me. You've got these, like, little trends that, like, show me from, you know, 2012 that go up and go down. And uh, maybe you can give me the the top level number uh, with regard to, like, how much the top 100 charities really sort of wield here.
1: All right. So the top 100 charities, and again, like before, we're excluding hospitals, including universities and their foundations here because they're kind of their own thing. They combined have $118 billion in revenue and $272 billion in investable assets. So the smallest of the top 100, the smallest of the top 100 charity has $502 million in revenue. So these are just massive organizations
0: what is um maybe you know off the top of your head or not but like what is the overall like, does is that a power law is that like 90% of the overall industry or is that uh, a representative like oh yeah there's many billions of dollars controlled by this group or is that number not um clearly discernible
1: yeah so at least in terms
0: of revenues
1: which is what i looked at this is uh the like overarching Q data set, again, about 450,000 nonprofits, excluding the smaller nonprofits, but you know that's, I don't think it'd be a huge deal for this, is uh, we're looking at $885 billion in revenue overall. So 885. What we're seeing with, again, these top 100 is 118. So 118 divided by 885, <laughs> should have prepared the set of time. we're looking at about like 13% of um of total revenues in the non-profit sector
0: yeah 13 uh, percent controlled by 30%. less than one percent just to put it in bernie terms oh, yeah. far less than one <laughs> yeah. percent yeah it's like 0.05 or something uh wow okay so these folks have a lot of money and and going through there you know you've got your classics that you could probably guess you know you get your bill and melinda gates in there Fidelity, American National Cross, not too shabby. Three point six yeah. <laughs> billion. Well done. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, see... like donor
1: advised funds, like that's you know continues to be a huge trend within the sector. That's uh, yeah, Fidelity and a few others. Um,
0: it's funny to see uh, Chan Zuckerberg going from like zero zero zero, and then all of a sudden, boom, about yeah. $2 billion <laughs>
1: straight up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, and I guess like the one thing that really surprised us when we were building, you know, this list of the top 100 charities is, um, well, I guess, number one, the strength of foundations. And again, this is top 100 by revenue, not by assets, top 100 by revenue. And foundations are still the largest chunk of these top 100. It's about 20% or so of the top 100 charities being foundations, even when they're measuring the top 100 by revenue, um, which really surprised me because I knew they'd be at the top looking at this from an asset basis but i didn't realize that foundations would be within the top 100 like other than like the gates foundation of course but from the revenue perspective but they are which um surprised me a fair bit
0: i mean they can't give it away fast enough right the the rate of the market return of whatever it's going to trend at you know 15 percent or what have you of you know giant asset pools like they can't give it away fast enough which you know from, a, from the George speaking on this side of the phone, that is currently running a very, very small, under two hundred thousand dollar nonprofit on the side. drives me freaking nuts because guess what? I could put that money to freaking work. Um, mm-hmm. But there, you know, there are all manner of you know you know red tape involved, and you know the the fact that those those foundations continue to skyrocket um, is something to note, and the consolidation of wealth in in these foundations.
1: Yeah, for sure. And also one interesting side note that we're looking at in foundations here, it's not part of our Top 100 article, but we could always write about it later, is um, I wanted to look at the growth rate in foundations for the smaller foundations. Again, looking back to the power law question, smaller foundations versus larger ones. So I like ran quick little stats in you know, all five minutes, but um, for foundations with $1 to $10 million in revenue comparing their growth in assets, and growth in revenues, again, median, uh, to foundations with 10 million or more in revenue. And for revenue growth, median of uh, foundations with one to 10 million in revenue was 24%, with more than 10 million in revenue was 37%. So more than 10% increase in revenue growth for organizations or foundations in this case that are a lot bigger. Um, and the same trend held, to a lesser degree, but the same trend held for industrial assets as well. Uh, so for foundations, it's like absolutely true that the bigger you are, the more money you make, and the larger your endowment, or the quicker, excuse me, your endowment grows, uh, which I guess makes logical sense. But it's still just yeah. We're in a winner-take-all.
0: We're in a winner-take-all environment that are playing actually by uh, more of the market rules rather than nonprofit rules.
1: Yeah, for sure. But I mean, on the other hand, though, I ran the same type of like mini study on environmental nonprofits and it held, but to a much, much, much lesser degree just by like one or 2% difference. Again, comparing environmental nonprofits with one to 10 million in revenue versus 10 plus million in revenue. And for example, the median growth rate for one to 10 million revenue was 9% and the median growth rate for 10 plus million in revenue was 10.3%. And so we're still seeing it for advocacy organizations in this case environmental orgs, but it's not as pronounced as foundations, which, again, kind of makes sense because foundations are so asset driven that you just, you know, get more assets and it's just like this ambitious feedback loop with
0: more money. Yeah, compound interest really works in their favor. Uh, All right. I'm going to do something super unfair to Josh now. Uh, I'm going to give you a question that I've been struggling with and I just I don't have a good answer for There's a a current macro trend that overall U.S. giving, right, the the total amount of billions of dollars given every year, has been increasing uh, year over year. Yet, you know, they say like roughly 30% of that is just coming from the super wealthy. And in fact, the number of individuals giving has been on a steady decline for a decade. And these data are supported from several different sources. Uh, We can toss those in the – in the show notes, but it's just been gnawing at me. And I'm like wondering if, you know, is that by segmenting a certain population, are there fewer religious donors or is there uh, a macro trend that maybe you see on your side of the fence that gives me some idea of what's going on here?
1: I wish I could answer that question. Um, And even like if I could snap my fingers, for example, and change one thing in the 990, I would separate out individual giving. Like the 990 really, really, really needs a field. That separates individual giving from, but right now they're put right in the same field, which is frustrating <laughs> to say the least. No, unfortunately, I don't have anything for you there. It's only, I think, a good note, I should say. Granted, completely anecdotal evidence it has nothing to do with thought IQ. But I saw on, well, started on Giving Tuesday, but it kept on going for a good week and a half afterwards. An Instagrammer um, who's like, I don't know if anybody follows her, but um, drag queen working on environmental issues and hiking and equity and um, she's amazing. But she started off on Instagram with like a little $5,000, like my supporters, let's rate $5,000 for these like super local environmental and kind of like queer kids organizations that she supports and do like really, really good work. Over the course of one week, she got, I think, $20,000 in matching Grants from like REI, from the actual Patagonia, from others. And her Instagram supporters raised $80,000. So, for overall, like last time I checked, about $100,000, or $100,000, where the original campaign was just $5,000. And I almost guarantee you that the majority of those donations came from people who hadn't given before or
0: not like this. So,
1: again, total anecdotal, but I think people are willing to give. There just has to be connection.
0: Yeah, we're you know I can't tell if it's a if it's a tracking problem to your point of like you know how are we counting this? How are you actually figuring that number out? And by the way, the the tax deduction shift in the uh, in the IRS mm-hmm. filing is like you know still playing out. Um, I can't tell if it's a it's accounting because yeah I I see it you know in the trend for Giving Tuesday you just mentioned you know they raised over half a billion dollars on that day tracked across mm-hmm. various platforms 500. Uh, and 11 million raised uh, raised on the day, according to you know numbers that were released right afterward. Uh, P.S. Just to pat ourselves on the back, we predicted it would be 502 million. Not too bad. <laughs> Getting back into it, is there any other insight, or what is the smartest use? We'll say uh, of your data for the average nonprofit just listening right now. I think a
1: lot of it is understanding who your peers are and just really understanding trends within the sector, not of course sector-wide, but like getting to your peer group as much as possible. Granted, your peers might not be organizations doing the exact same work. Your peers could also be organizations that have a similar structure, similar funding coming in or just operational types of work you're doing, aside from like a specific issue area. So people do need to think outside of the box a little bit with what peer means, but just really understanding what's going on in the sector. And most nonprofits could really benefit from just understanding trends among organizations that are the most similar to them. Because I'm sure a lot of your listeners right now are even saying like, oh, you talk about advocacy organizations, but of course, you know, environmental organizations versus civil rights organizations versus all the other types of advocacy organizations doing good work, you know, bit apples and oranges still. Um, so I think if you're looking at, like, how you compare to your peers, it could be, you know, how you're making money. You could ask yourself, like, should I be working on program service revenues? this actually do, making some of that earned income. Are organizations like me doing that? Um, or even, you know, what do I pay my executive director? Uh, you know, who are her peers within the sector and what are they making? Uh, just getting to as specific as a peer group as you can in order to make just smarter decisions about where you're going, or even like just a better understanding of where you are compared to others can be, you know, just comforting to know, like, am I behind or not? Am I like too far ahead? How much are people spending
0: on IT and computer services? How many people, what is my proportion of consulting versus staff expense based on, you know, other Organizations with my revenue level and in this yep. industry. Oh my gosh! I just came up with a thought. I have to like run off and look at this. I really want to see. Could I do the following? I want to look at environmental organizations and then rank them by how much they're spending on on printing materials and like <laughs> mail stuff.
1: Yep. Yeah. There's a couple line items in the 990 where that would be, but uh, but yeah, you could look at that. The only, I should say the caveat there is a lot of nonprofits would put that in professional fundraising fees because they would pay a professional fundraiser X amount and that X amount would include printing. So you'd have to work hard to get, you know, the right data set there. But
0: yeah, <laughs> that
1: would be super interesting.
0: Okay, Josh, I could geek out forever, but we are going to move into the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Yes. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year?
1: We started using HubSpot
0: to help with marketing automation
1: and just really building the ground that way.
0: What tech issues are you currently battling with?
1: We are changing cloud providers, which is a pain in the butt, and I would tell everybody to avoid doing it if you at all possibly can, but oh, that's a constant battle that is not fun.
0: What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited?
1: We're going to start to get into grants information, which I'm really excited about. So We're going to start to be able to actually work with development directors and fundraising professionals, both at the foundations, but especially at like the charities themselves, to help understand just money flows within the sector and which foundations, especially which private foundations, are funding which type of work out
0: there. Talk about a mistake that you made early in your career that shapes the way you do things now.
1: I like making new data and new products too much. Um, Perhaps you can tell from the way I'm geeking out about the data and products, but as any small business owner, I need to get out there and talk more and sell more versus just trying to make the oh, what's the phrase next best mousetrap is that a phrase i forget but instead of just being two heads down in the data and product which i love doing but it's not sustainable
0: do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business oh yeah 100 percent. i mean ultimately
1: it's about what's the greater good and how are you actually achieving you know the core mission the core issue areas that you're working at and it makes sense to combine two into one. Like I worked for a tiny little nonprofit right out of college. We did a lot of really good environmental restoration work, but at a certain point it just didn't make sense for us to be our own distinct organization. And so we merged with another, like after I'd left and the good work kept on going just with more support, more funding, et cetera. So yeah,
0: 100%. If I were to throw you in the hot tub time machine back to the beginning of founding Cause IQ, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I would tell myself to concentrate more on one specific issue within the sector. Uh, when it started off, as a little too much wanting to do like everything for everybody. And CauseAQ really only hit its stride when we kind of focused in on like specific issues facing the sector or the service providers to the sector. And that's when we really started kind of, like I said, reaching our stride versus trying to do too many things at once.
0: What is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? We need to stop building one-off feature requests.
1: I mean, like, we love our customers. We really, really love our customers. But at a certain point, we need to concentrate on what, as a whole, our customers need versus what specific individual customers need.
0: If I were to give you a Harry Potter-style wand to wave across the industry, what would it do? If I was Harry Potter and I had a magic
1: wand, I would actually get rid of student debt for the sector. Or otherwise make it so that's possible to get a law degree from a top institution or get a public policy degree social work degree etc and not have to choose the type of organization or type of company you work for or even how long you work there um, based on repaying your loans um, i mean i get that we have to pay for education but it's just always so sad for me when i see my friends just have jobs that they hate working in sectors that they hate when all they want to do is like work for a certain type of nonprofit or work for different types of nonprofits or companies, but they can't because just financially they're getting strangled and have to pay off their loans. So I think that would just be incredible for the sector to have access to all talent, regardless of whether it provided people the ability to repay their loans or not.
0: How did you get started in the social impact sector? It was really
1: back in college. I was an environmental studies major, like I mentioned before. I worked for that little environmental nonprofit doing uh environmental restoration work with old forest service logging roads and it was really just growing up hiking on these trails, hiking on these like roads that you know got restored, and wanting to know what organizations are working on this, like what organizations are making sure that stream sedimentation gets minimized so that the <laughs> fish that I like to fish are super healthy and um and like I said in college, and that led me to an internship and then a job right out of um right out of college at the same nonprofit working on that environmental restoration work, which was just really meaningful and super good work.
0: What is your favorite question to ask other people, job candidates, or just general organizations that you meet? I really
1: like to understand, um, specifically looking at like college students um or people looking to change careers, just well, two questions. Number one, like what they wanna get out of it. Um, Because I do think some people get into the nonprofit sector for the wrong reasons. Um, And I think we really need to understand, you know, what these jobs entail and what as individuals, like let's say recent college grads, like why they want to get into it. And I'm not just like emotionally, but also like from a hard skill set perspective. Because I think too often we think at the higher level versus more specifically on that individual level. you know, what a person's intent is and why they actually want to work out of it. Um, And I should say related to that, then, of course, is skill set, just understanding what the work looks like. Are you behind the computer all day long? Are you okay learning stats? Are you okay like, learning Excel or PowerPoint, et cetera? So um, just kind of demystifying what a day in the life actually is versus what we imagine it to be.
0: What advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector right now?
1: Being a data guy, take stats courses. Definitely one. Ideally, more than one. Ideally, take econometrics. Econometrics is so fun, and take calc. Calc is fun too. Um, <laughs> granted, who knows who actually will pay attention to that advice? But uh, but no, I really think having a solid understanding in stats. Um, you know, especially talking about medians and just hearing about correlation versus causation. Basically, being able to have data come to you whether from like the news, from like a raw data source, from partner, et cetera, et cetera, and be able to know when that data is legit and being able to know when to call BS or even what the caveats behind the assumptions within a given analysis is that is just so impactful. Um, and you don't even need to major in like math or stats or econ, just you know, major in what you want to major, but then have that like solid data chops behind it. And that is, uh, I think just hugely
0: valuable. What career advice did your parents give you that you either followed or didn't follow?
1: I would say I partially followed, but um, no, actually I didn't follow it. So of course, like I'm in data now. I'm behind a computer all day long. I do a bunch of programming. Uh, It's like lovely. But my parents told me to follow my passions with like computers, computer science, et cetera. But I didn't. Um, Rather, I went the environmental way, which was great. But I was honestly scared of being stuck behind a screen for just all day, every day, which I am now, but which pretty much every job is. When I was doing the environmental work or the work for the environmental nonprofit, I was behind a screen all day long. I actually didn't follow my parents' advice and pursue computer science, even though eventually I ended up there, anyways.
0: Hear that, mom and dad? You were right. (laughs) He was wrong. I was. All right, Josh. Final question: How do people find you? How do people help you? Go
1: to your search engine and type in Cause IQ. That's C A U S E space I Q. You can also go directly to cause IQ.com, causeiq.com. C A U S E I Q.com. If you want to get in touch
0: with me directly, my
1: name is Josh, and my email is josh at C-A-U-S-E-I-Q.com. Um, that's right.
0: Just go to yeah. go to ask Jeeves and ask him to go find Josh. <laughs> also, Vista. oh my god i love it all right josh thank you so much for your time and i appreciate your insights on
1: the sector yeah thank you and continue to look forward to providing more insights in the future
0: this has been using the whole whale for more resources on today's show please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on twitter at whole whale and thanks for joining us